Back in the 60s, when Stephen was a young surgeon in Boston, a guy came in with abdominal pain, which turned out to be his gallbladder. He needed an operation. But the guy told Stephen this story of how, 12 years before, he had come into that exact same hospital and had had cancer. It started in his stomach and it spread to his belly. The doctors opened him up. And the surgeons had seen cancer that had spread into his liver and throughout his abdomen. They could do nothing, and they just closed the abdomen and sent him home to die. And yet here he was, 12 years later, uh, seeming quite healthy. Stephen was skeptical. Cancer usually does not just go away with no treatment at all. The guy must have gotten the story wrong in some way. Then I went back to the patient's chart, and I read, in fact, the pathology reports, and I was still skeptical. So then I went back and actually pulled out the slides to be sure, in fact, he had had cancer, and we reviewed the slides, and, in fact, it was a cancer. Uh, and then I made sure it was, in fact, the same patient, and, in fact, it was. And then when you opened him up, were you fully expecting you, go you were going to still find some cancer? Well, it was 12 years later, and uh, I didn't know what to expect. I operated on him, took out his gallbladder, examined the inside of his abdomen, and all of the cancer that had been present 12 years earlier had completely disappeared in the absence of any treatment. It appeared that this patient's body had somehow rejected his cancer. This patient set me on a quest for the next 25 years to try to explain how such a thing could happen. And in fact, this doctor, Stephen Rosenberg, is now a pioneer in inventing immunotherapies based on that research at the National Cancer Institute, where he's chief of surgery. And it's interesting, you know, you can find the story about this early case of his all over the place. It circulates on the Internet. It shows up in books about people spontaneously recovering from cancer. And he is not happy about that. He kind of hates it, in fact, because he says that this story gives people false hope. In his career, he's seen maybe 10,000 cancer patients, and this is the only case like this that he has ever encountered. It is just fantastically rare. And it is so easy, he says, for patients to get their hopes up. How could anybody not get their hopes up, you know? And Dr. Rosenberg has seen lots of patients taken advantage of by people who play on this dream of a spontaneous recovery. People who prey on cancer patients are offering... Quack treatments often take advantage of cancer patients who are desperate. And I've seen entire families devastated as uh, their entire resources are devoted to treatments of no value. Still, hope is important. So what do you do when people place hope in things that probably are not going to work? Well, lots of times his patients come to him asking about vitamins and herbs and visualization and other treatments that have not been proven by science. And if the treatments aren't actually going to hurt them in any way, he says, sure, do it. Studies have shown that patients who are embracing life, feeling more hopeful, feeling more in control of their situation, do better, respond better to medical treatment of all kinds. There are real health effects to hope itself. And so today on our radio show, we have two stories of hope power of hope. Hope in some things that are not very likely, I have to say. We have stories about the great side of that and the maybe less great side of that. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass. Our program today in two acts. Act one, a son tries to help his mom in a faraway place, defy the laws of medical science. Act two, a daughter tries to help her dad by going to a faraway place 
to defy the laws of the United States of America. Stay with us. Back one, changing the channeler. You may remember Davy Rothbard. He's been on our show a few times. At one point, he came onto the show to tell the story of his mother, Barbara, who's a suburban mom in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who seems like lots of funny, smart moms that you have met in your life, except that she channels an ancient being named Aaron. Aaron is a Buddhist monk. Aaron gives advice along Buddhist lines to people who come into the house. He showed up in Barbara's life. I, th- I think that's the right way to say that. He showed up in Barbara's life years ago. Barbara is also deaf. She hasn't been able to hear anything for decades. And a while back, she heard about this healer in Brazil, a man who goes by the name Jao de Deus, John of God, who, people said, could make the deaf hear. And she wanted to go down and see if he could help her out. Davy is, is really close to her, and he agreed to go along. She was very hopeful about it. You know, she, she wouldn't say, I'm going to come back, I'm going to be hearing. But I could just tell that, you know, in the months leading up to our trip, she was getting more and more excited about it. You know, she started just dropping little things into conversation. Like one night, me and her were talking about, uh, my little brother has a new album coming out. Your brother's a band. Yeah, he's like a musician. So mm-hmm. so my mom, you know, she gave me, you know, just kind of like she'd give me a little funny smile, like, and, and she'd just say, you know, I can't wait to hear it. I, I, I got excited too. I talked to her about this on tape. I want to hear Peter sing. I want to hear my mother's voice. Voices of the people I love. Dad's voice, which I have heard, of course, but will not remember. Oh, stop the tape for a second, David. We should say, um, your mom is deaf, but but she can talk, and uh, she reads lips. So whenever people hear you on these tapes, you're talking really slowly and distinctly so she can read your lips, and you're also signing to her a lot of times, too. Right, to exaggerate the space between words. Uh, I want to hear some of my favorite music. Back at Thanksgiving, we were, you asked me what songs I remembered. And all of my music is from the 60s. I want to hear what's happened to music in 40 years. <laughs> Would you like to hear some 50 Cent? Some. 50 Cent. What here? To hear some 50 Cent? Do you mean two, two quarters clinging together? <laughs> no, the rapper... 50 Cent. I've never heard of the rapper 50 Cent. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear everything. Back when my mom, you know, could hear, she loved listening to music. And now she still sings sometimes. She still sings sometimes. Yeah. It kind of sounds weird. Well, it sounds interesting. Because she can't hear herself at all, right? Right. She has 0% hearing. The favorite song of mine that I'd love to hear is Amusing Grace. Do you know that? I can't sing it on tune. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. But now I see. The song, of course, far predates my deafness, but I learned it just before I lost my hearing. 
When you can hear again, you will be able to listen to the tapes of yourself singing. <laughs> and say, ah! <laughs> so, Davy, before you guys went to Brazil, what did you think was going to happen? Did, did you view this as like, oh, my mom is going to be disappointed? Or do, were there's a, was there a part of you where you thought like that she might get a miracle cure? You know what? I had no idea. You know, who knows? And 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 I think my mom's excitement got me excited about it too. So mm. I'd heard stories from her friend who had been down there and, and had seen Zhao heal deaf people. So Wait, and and your mom's friend actually saw this happen with her own eyes? Yeah. So I was also nervous because sometimes it was sort of heartbreaking because I would see her begin to get so excited about it. So, Davey, where are we now? Now we're down in Brazil. It took us 31 hours to get there from Michigan. It's in it's in a tiny town in the middle of Brazil called Abadiania. It's just a, you know, really like a little village with a few farms and some houses, a, a little factory where they make bricks, and, you know, a lot of sick people wandering around. And is this the sort of place where, where like, the, the town's main industry is, is healing tourists? Yeah, it's it's like a one-company town, a miracle town. People have come here on buses from all over Brazil. They'll drive for 36 hours just to visit for a few hours with, with Jiao and then go home. And everywhere you go, people are telling these miracle stories. There's this guy, Marcel, who owns like a little pizza restaurant. He, he actually came there because his, his dad had been sick. I have a friend, Alessandro. He lives in Abadjan, and I show you when he walk around. He had um, multiple axillaries. That's the right name. Yeah, okay. okay, he he could not walk. Problem to move, even to talk. Only his mother could understand him. He came here. Today, every day, you can see he going to university, walking. He play volleyball with the people around. I figured while I'm going. With my mom, you know, to help her out, see if she can get her hearing back. I'd try to get healed too. Hmm. I have this uh, this skin thing. It's called psoriasis, and basically, it's like your your skin gets kind of all red and scaly looking, and I have it on my chest and my back and part of my scalp. Yeah, we should say to people who are trying to picture this that we're not talking about like just like you just have like dry skin or red skin. That it's that it's way more serious than that. Yeah, there's an arthritis that is associated with psoriasis, which I actually have. And it makes your joints and then everything, like, you know, terribly painful. Like, they swell up. I've had times when I, I couldn't walk. And that's scary. And so I, I thought I would, you know, why not see if, if Jao could heal me, too. Good morning. On behalf of Medjum João Teixeira de Faria, welcome you all to his spiritual center. All belief systems are welcome here. So and where are we now? We're we're in line at uh, at the casa. The casa is the place where Jao does his healing. It's like a little healing center compound, and this is the first time we're going to meet him and, and see if he can cure us. You know, it's just early in the morning. We're in the middle of a crowd of like three or four hundred people, and most of them are Brazilian, but about a quarter of us are, are foreign, you know foreigners from the U.S. and really all over the world. Everyone's dressed in white, head to toe. It's like the uh, yeah. it's like the Casa dress code. You've got to dress in white, and they, it's funny. They've got uh, 
Enya bumping over the PA system. Basically, you have all these people just waiting out in this grand hall, waiting to go before Jow. It just feels like a gigantic, low-cost medical clinic. Everybody in this first line, to please step back a little bit so that we can form the line. It's about 10 deep right now. And, you know, there's just sick people everywhere. So, so Davy, so I know that your mom hired a translator and a guide for you guys. Um, is, is she there with you during this part? Yeah, yeah, she's right there. Her name is Heather. You know, wh- while we were waiting there, she told us how Zhao had come to be Zhao. You know, it wasn't going through medical school. He has a second-grade education. And when he was 16 years old, he was um, coming out of a town called Campo Grande in Mato Grosso. And he just lost his job as a tailor's assistant. And he was, you know, hungry and tired and lonely and on his way home. And, and basically, while he was there on the road, what happened to Zhao was he, he was visited by the spirit of St. Rita. And she gave him just like this unfamiliar address. She told him, go back into town, knock on the door at this house. They said, are you Zhuo? He said, I'm Zhuo. I was told to come here. And they said, we've been waiting for you. The next thing he remembered is coming out of a faint. And he was very apologetic and said, you know, gosh, I must have been so hungry that I fainted. I'm so sorry. And they said, oh, no, you incorporated King Solomon and you've just healed over 50 people. You, you, you've incorporated King Solomon? What, what, what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> incorporating, it's like, it's like channeling, except, you know, instead of just channeling the voice of a spirit, basically your whole body becomes completely possessed. So you know, the idea is that there, there's 37 of the world's greatest healers of all time, and they just kind of take turns, you know, entering his body and performing these these works of healing. That they call these guys the entities. And are these healers that we that we would have heard of? Are these like famous people? Oh, there's a few all stars on this roster. You know, there's there's Saint Ignatius and Saint Francis, King Solomon. There's a there's a guy named Doctor Octavio Cruz. He's like the father of Brazilian medicine. Each of these, each of these spirits has a different personality. In fact, the music that they play over the the loudspeakers there, each one has like a separate musical preference. So depending which entity Zhao is channeling, uh, they'll they'll play whatever music they most like. Okay, so you guys are standing there in this big room with hundreds of people in this in this line. How long does that last? About a couple of hours, and then Heather says it's, it's our turn. She, she gets me and my mom into the right line and kind of sends us through to see Zhao. Just keep coming through, okay? I'll meet you inside. First, we go through a couple of rooms where there's just a bunch of people meditating in chairs with their eyes closed. And then, finally, you can see him just way up at the front of the room. He, he sits in, like, a big wooden chair. It's almost like a throne. And he's, he's got, like, a base shirt on, hospital scrubs. He's, he's about 50 years old, maybe, dark, wavy hair, round face, glasses. He, he's sitting there, and he's got, a, a, like, a ballpoint pen and just a bunch of little slips of paper on his lap. And as each person goes in front of him for a few seconds, he does, like, a real quick little scribble and just gives him the scrap of paper. Um, it's almost like some old baseball player giving autographs at, like, a baseball card show. So when we get up to see him... Uh, Heather explains my mom's deafness to him, and, and she talks, tells him about my psoriasis uh, to Zhao in, in Portuguese. Esse amigo dele que está fazendo a reportagem. Manda sentar na corrente, por favor. 
to me, this is like the moment of truth, maybe. But Zhao barely looks at us. I mean, he just kind of nods and like gives us one of those papers with his crazy squiggle on it. And Heather tells us it's it's our prescription. Um, she says that like Zhao doesn't he doesn't have to actually examine us because the entities have just been checking us out as we were approaching him in line. And she points me and my mom to a room where everyone's meditating and just says, you know, go 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 over there, sit in current. Call it sitting in current. Sit in the other current room. You stay here till the end. Okay. Hold on to that. That's your medicine. I'll tell you later. Current yeah. means like like the like the current, like the electrical current that comes from all the entities. Well, the current. When you sit in current, it's like this. Everyone that's there meditating is sort of like conducting this powerful spiritual current, and that and that gives energy to Jiao and the entities while they're doing the healing. You know, so you sit in this current room, and you're just supposed to keep your eyes closed. Make sure not to cross your arms or your legs because that disrupts the flow of energy. Most people in there are, are sitting pretty still. A couple people have fallen asleep. There's people that are making this like weird, spooky hissing sound. Uh, it, it sounds like this. So after like an hour of that, we all went outside, and, and Heather told us to go to the pharmacy window. And behind, behind the counter there, there was this, it's just a kid sitting on a little stool, probably like 15-year-old kid with a Casa t-shirt. So me and my mom, you know, we, we give this kid our, our pieces of paper with, like, Jao's scribble on it. And, and he, he really doesn't even look at the paper. Um, he just, you know, he takes them from us. He reaches down into this cardboard box at his feet, and he pulls out some pill bottles and just gives us the pills. Um, they're like these little Jao brand pills. And then I see him give the same pills to the guy behind me and, you know, the person behind that guy. We all get the same exact pill bottles. It's got a Jaguar on the back. Heather tells us that these pills, they're just a passion flower extract, but the entities spike each capsule with a special energy. It's a vehicle to carry the energy that is imbued into the herbs for that particular person, unique for you, so you can't give it to your sister your brother. It is for your condition. So Heather tells us what Jao's treatment plans are for me and my mom. Me and my mom are scheduled for surgery. Wait, wait, sur- sur- surgery? You mean like surgery, surgery? Like they cut into you? Well, no, like uh, it's psychic surgery. You know, you're told this is how it works. Basically, we, you just sit in this room with 20 other people in a chair, and the entities perform surgery on you. You just can't see it happen i mean Zhao is not even in the room and and you, and you get the surgery too yeah yeah i get surgery too i mean you know i sit next to my mom and we and we have surgery together i'm sitting here and my mom is next to me and she's breathing i can feel her breathing really slowly and sort of intensely and i'm not feeling anything but um i don't know i i'm hoping she's experiencing something I, it, it seems strange now but yeah i was so kind of disoriented and just everything was so weird i I never really felt like i had steady footing i didn't know what was going on i don't know i I felt like maybe it could all be it'd be real heather she warns us she says you know don't be too active right after an invisible surgery because you can rip out the invisible sutures that the entities have just put in she said you know it's you got to treat it just like you would conventional surgery and you know just stay in bed 
And, and, you know, in fact, you know, after these invisible surgeries, we were both totally exhausted. And we went to our rooms and we just slept, you know, soundly, totally for about 24 hours. Hey, what's what's up? The next morning I wake up and I, you know, I, I can look down and see there's been no miracle for my skin or, you know, I'm not cured. And it, it was really humid, so my tape recorder was sticking a little bit. So it sounds a little bit funny, but, but this is tape of me just kind of going down to, to visit my mom for the first time after the surgery. It's the morning after surgery, and I feel pretty groggy. I slept almost like 24 hours straight, and I'm ravenous. I'm going to go down to breakfast and see if my mom can hear again. Going downstairs, I hear some voices down there on breakfast. There she is. She's talking to someone. Well, she's she's looking at something. Hey, mom. Hi. Mom, I'm right behind you. She doesn't see me. Hey, mom. Mom, I'm right in your ear. Mom, can you hear me? Okay, so, so clearly, like, you, you, at this point, you probably realize, like, okay, your mom didn't get her hearing back. Did they warn you that, that it wasn't going to be like, okay, man puts his hands on you and kaboom, um, you know, that suddenly you get your hearing back, but that it might take, you know, weeks or more? Yeah, they, they said there's a whole range of possibilities. Some people are healed instantly. Some people it takes a couple of weeks. Some people a couple of months. Some people a couple of years. But but still, you know, change will happen a little bit at a time. So, you know, I, I tapped her on the shoulder, and I asked her if she felt any different. And she said she thought she felt like a greater sensitivity to vibration. Maybe it could be a sign that her hearing was coming back. And then she asked me how I was feeling. How were you feeling? I don't feel so great. It's either the invisible surgeries and the sutures within me, or it's the runs. Oh, is it the rest? The runs. The R-U-N-S. T-O-U-N-S. What is T-O-U-N-S? The runs. The rust? She's still clearly very deaf. I don't tell jokes, I only channel jokes from the entities. This is this is a few days after our surgeries, and there's like sort of a, a town talent show. I'm translating all of this into sign language for my mom. Most of us foreigners are here for several weeks, so the town's got this whole kind of summer camp feeling. This is Ken, and, and he, his doctors at home have given him a few weeks to live. He's got some kind of severe liver problem, and, and he, he's, he's supposed to die soon. How many entities does it take to change a light bulb? How many? Zero. We've already seen the light. 
So you, you basically do the same thing every day. You take the pills. You either see Jiao or you spend more time in that current room, the meditation room. And people are so nice. You know, a lot of them are really down to earth. They're really cool and just really friendly. And, and so I am getting along with people. And, and it's sort of powerful to just to be around so many people that have cancer, AIDS, people that are really close to dying. Why didn't the entity cross the road? Why? He was already on the other side. The problem is everyone's telling you these miracle stories all the time, just constant miracle stories, but you don't see any miracles. People in wheelchairs are still in wheelchairs. Blind folks are still blind. You know, they're really, they're, they're like urban legends. And, it, and it's like they can smell my skepticism, you know. They're, it's like the way, the way animals can smell fear. And, and to them, you know, everything that happens, everything that goes on there proves that they're, that they're right and that these entities exist, you know. Like, like my back was just starting to kill because, you know, you're sitting in this current room for just hours and hours on end. They told me that the pain was proof that the entities are working on me, you know. <laughs> I was like, no. so, so, so in their, so in their view, is there, is there like even room for like, you know, co- coincidence or, or you know, no, um, no, 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 anything that happens, whatever, whatever happens, happens for a reason. And I mean, it would be one thing if they just, you know, asked me to believe or just, you know, to try to believe, but they all tried to convince me that it's based on science. Here's a couple of examples. Our hearts create a field of energy around our bodies. We know this now. We can measure it. Each of us holds a vibration, and that vibration attracts other light vibrations and affects other vibrations. We also know that Medium Joao has been hooked up to electrodes and that he goes down to um, zero resistance. So he becomes like a lightning rod. (laughs) Because I'm a Capricorn, I have bad knees, and I felt them working on my knees, and I also felt them working on my elbow. Capricorns are known for having bad knees? Yeah. For my mom, the longer her hearing is not coming back, the more obsessed she kind of becomes with just following every little rule of the place. Like uh, Heather told us we, got, we have to stock up on holy water, you know, the holy water they have at the Casa gift shop. And mm-hmm. it, it's really just a regular brand of it's just bottled water that but but it's been blessed by the entities and and here you know me and my mom are at breakfast and my mom catches me drinking the regular bottled water you have to brush your teeth you me and drink this it's the same thing except this one is cold this has that energy in it What extra energy? I see the skeptical side of you coming to rip. And I think that for your skin condition, I think it would be healing for you. I'm having trouble a little bit with the whole program here. Why is this holy water... Entities have really given their energy into this water. They've raised the frequency vibration of it. It has a different vibration of frequency. It's a charged water, let's call it. If I gave you the Pepsi challenge and put some holy water in one cup 
and some regular bottled water in the other cup, would you tell the difference? I don't know. Over a period of days of drinking one or the other, I would feel the difference. But talking about the whole program here, David, there. This is, I know you respect me. I, I do. This is consistent with everything that I know and have learned in the past 15 years. This is the problem. My mom's trying to use my belief in channeling to get me to believe in Zhao. Yeah, j- just to remind people of, of, of how you've uh, talked about this in the past, your mom channels this ancient being, Aaron, and uh, the last time you came on the show and talked about it, you described it this way. You said that um, basically you faced this choice as her kid. You could decide that channeling isn't real and your mom's a little crazy and you don't think she's crazy. Like She's really wonderful in so many ways. And so, so you sort of provisionally were thinking, okay, well, maybe this is real. Yeah, and you know, and I've seen the work that she does with Aaron, and I've you know I've seen how helpful it is to people. Aaron gives people advice. Yeah, so you know I, I've seen the good that comes out of that, but but now she's upping the stakes. She's saying if I'm going to keep believing in Aaron and 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 that stuff, I also have to believe in Zhao and the entities. So it's like you're at a kind of showdown with her. Yeah. And I didn't realize this was going to happen, you know, but but it's true. At home, it's easy to sort of each believe what we want to believe and, and just it never never has to come to a head. So is there any point down there when, when you thought that you started to believe a little bit? Yeah, yeah, actually. I mean, there was one day. All those who have surgery, please raise their hand. So what's going on now? We're at the casa. We're going to see some physical surgeries. Oh, you mean like like real surgeries with yeah. a knife? He does those too. Yeah, he does. He cuts into people, scrapes their eyes. No, no anesthetic. Jaw wouldn't let me record the operations, but you know he let me stand right there next to him while I did them. So I I, I knew this morning that uh, a couple of the people I'd gotten to be friends with, uh, Gregor and Cynthia, they're from Baltimore. G- Gregor has MS, so he's like in a wheelchair, and Cynthia has some ailments, so she, you know she wanted to get surgery too. Okay, so, so so how's it go? You go in there with Cynthia, and she's she's in there with him. Yeah. And, what, what, and, and, what's he do? Well, she she she's standing there with her eyes closed, and he just kind of tilts her head back a little bit. He's got this wicked looking instrument. It's like they call it a Kelly clamp. It's about seven inches long. It's like a basically a long metal skinny scissors, uh-huh. um, with a little cotton ball kind of in the in the pliers tip of it. Okay, I can feel where this is going. Uh, let, let me just warn people: this might get a little graphic. Okay, continue, Davy. He tilts her head back. He he dips the the point of it just like kind of up her right nostril, and then he turns it around and just dry slams it all the way in. So just all the way to the handle, straight back into her head. Oh my god! It was horrifying. It was the most. It was it was the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. The room kind of started. <laughs> swirling around me and everything got really silent you know there's sort of like a a roar fills your ears and i just kept watching as he started kind of poking and jabbing around in there it was like it was like if you're trying to scrape in a jar of peanut butter to get the last little bit out and and, okay and so what is she doing is she like screaming like what's she doing she's just standing there pretty calmly you know i mean she looks maybe a little uncomfortable but she's she's very calm you know then what happens well, then, you know, after 30 seconds of that, he pulls the thing out and she kind of just collapses into a chair 
and they wheel her off into this sort of infirmary and that's that's the last I see of her for a little while. So I go and just sit down in one of these chairs for another hour or two and I and I'm just I'm 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 freaking out, you know, because like I just saw something that should not be possible. That there's no way that could happen. What what he just did should have killed her and and it didn't. I I have to say it was like it was it was an hour or two like I've never had before. And I I was just completely shaken. I was just sitting there and I and I didn't know what to believe. After I'd been sitting there for a couple hours, I went outside and, and I was standing with Gregor, her husband, who you know, who's in a wheelchair, and, and he was anxious about how she was and then she comes kind of skipping out, just happy happy as can be. Of course, you know, she'd had her eyes closed the whole time. What does the thing actually even look like? Oh. The, the, the apparatus, or is it big or is it small? I mean, I have no idea. <laughs> it's like this. It's about a seven-inch scissors, like uh, scissors. <laughs> now I'm getting scared. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I don't know if it's a good thing for me to describe no, no, it to you. It, it was honestly. It, he like twisted it back, so it was going like almost straight back into your wow. brain, and and then he just jammed it all the way in and i mean <laughs> i mean like <laughs> you know, it's you, you, i i i i thought he had killed you i i honestly did <laughs> and so did you go and 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 tell your mom like what did your mom make of it she had an explanation for exactly what was happening the frequency of vibration of these tools is raised so high that they simply become energy and light. Material is transmuted, literally, into light. And then, as the instrument withdraws the tool, he releases that energy thrust into it, and it turns back into the metal that it was. Then I talked to a couple of doctors, and turns out there's a cavity behind the nose, and it goes back a long way. Oh, so there's room for the instrument. Right, right. And your brain's surrounded by bone, so there's like there's no way you can harm it or, or, or help it, for that matter, by sticking something up your nose. You know, so really what, what Zhao did in the end isn't proof of miracles, but proof of sinus cavities. Someday I'm not good, someday I'm very good. It's, you know, with ups and downs. That's it. There's this couple, Tatiana and Ed, they were there, they were from Holland. And, and you saw them all the time pushing their, their son around the casa in a wheelchair, Alexander. He had muscular dystrophy. And you know, the doctors in Holland had said there was no cure, like nothing that could be done for him. Here's Tatiana. You know what? The worst in this illness is that you feel helpless. You feel so very helpless as you're, you know that this boy will die little by little every day in front of your eyes and you can't do anything you know and this it makes you really it makes you furious from time to time you're furious you're saying why well i want to do something about that i can't i can't just watch it happening like that this is the only our chance and the last one tatiana you know she hadn't believed in any of this stuff before Alexander got sick, but her and Ed were willing to try anything. The doctors had told them that the muscles would just deteriorate until 
at age 18 or so, your heart just can no longer even beat and, and you die. This is Alexander, he's 10. The entities, they told us positive concentration, so we're working on that. And, and we're doing our best. What's that? We're doing our best. Have, have they told you that you will be healed? Yes, they said some couple of times he will walk, and then he said another time you'll walk very soon. But what, is, what soon is for the entities, we don't know. To me, you know, when I meet people like this, hoping for a miracle, you know, it's, it's really the only choice you have. It seems completely sane to me. It's the logical choice. Let's hear some music. <laughs> One night, one of the Posadas, you know, hired an accordion player and had like a little dance. And everyone was there. Uh, Maggie, she's, you know, she's blind and she's dancing with Dennis. Gregor, who, he uses a walker at home, but he gets up and twirls for a second with Cynthia. You know, then he topples over again. I mean, everyone who's here, they're so joyful, you know, just being together and, and I think and having hope. And whether or not you believe in the spirits and everything, it just seems like it's it's good for you. It it, it improves your health to be in a beautiful place. There's twenty five people in my mom's group. No one was cured, but everyone was glad that they'd been there. Everybody that is but but you. Right. It just it wasn't quite enough for me, you know. I mean, my mom's still deaf, my skin's still messed up, and, and Zhao told both of us we needed to come back for, you know, more visits. Right. And, and the worst thing was, you know, my mom and I just, we were not seeing eye to eye. The thing is, can you open your heart to the possibility that this is real and that in three or four years you could be healed if you do what you need to do? Do you know what I mean? Kind of, but I just think you and I see the world differently. We probably do. We're two different people. But So I used to see the world more the way you do, and I'm, I've learned some things by banging my head against the wall and then stopping because I realized it wasn't getting me I'm not banging my head. I'm just, I, I, I don't, I just, I don't think there is a master plan. I don't think there is a reason for everything. I think there are accidents and coincidences. I don't. I'm not going to argue that one with you. I don't know, Davy. I, I would hope that you can just say, "Let's see what happens." I, I don't want to let you down, but I don't think I'm going to come back here unless it's to visit you because you've moved here or something. I don't think you would come back, even though he says he can cure you. It's up to you. It's entirely up to you. It's hard for me to understand why. Because I don't really, I don't really believe in it. That was the first time I'd 
ever told her that and maybe realized it myself. I, I don't I don't know what that means exactly for me and my mom. You mean for, for the two of you who were so close to say that, you know, we disagree on something that's so fundamental and such a big part of her life. Right, right, because it is everything to her. And it's been a couple months since we got back, and she says that she's experiencing some changes, you know, and other people from the group. Huh. Ma- Maggie, who was blind, you know, is who is, is saying she's beginning to see a little bit. And for my mom, it's the same thing. She says she can feel her in her ears. She can feel changes, shifts, um, vibrations, and, and she thinks it's, it's the beginning of hearing. I can feel my voice going up and down. Suddenly, I have some sense of where the notes are. It's completely different. Do you hear the difference? or It's like hearing. It's not just vibration. I'm hearing it. Oh, oh. I've got to get the tunes, the notes. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. Am I way off? Am I better than I was before? It sounded beautiful to me. D.B. Rothbard is about to head out on a 126-city tour for his new book of excerpts from Found Magazine, a magazine he created. Details are at foundmagazine.com. Amazing grace, how sweet, how, how sweet, sweet, the sound, the sound, sound. that saved, saved a Coming up, summoning the mysterious entities known as the Food and Drug Administration. That's in a minute from Chicago Public Radio and Public Radio International when our program continues. Let me be. 
This American Life in Ira Glass. Each week in our program, of course, we choose some theme, bring you a variety of different kinds of stories on that theme. Today's program, Miracle Cures, stories of kids doing whatever they think it might take, doing the impossible to help their parents get cured. We've arrived at Act 2 of our program. Act 2 is this. Um, Julia Witte's dad had cancer, and he had used up all the available kinds of treatment. He probably just had a few months left to live. But there was one hope for him, one last drug that might work. And the problem was a year of this drug would cost him $47,000, which his insurance couldn't cover and which he could not afford. So uh, Julia Witte, uh, she, she just wrote a, a magazine article about this experience. She said that she found when she tried to find this drug for him, she found that most of the ways that she could get the drug for less were not exactly legal. I absolutely was willing to break the law, and I can't imagine too many people who wouldn't be, in all honesty. Um, if you clearly saw there was a, a source for what you needed and it, you had to break the law a little bit to cross over the line to go there and get it, I think most people would do that for somebody that they loved. Yeah. So that was where I began to look around and see if there was some other way we could get this drug. So you started looking around. What did you find? Um, I went on the internet, as you know, most people would in this day and age, and I, I just started surfing around. And I, I did find that's where I first came in contact with people who might have had a loved one who died and had leftover prescription that they would sometimes give away or sell. Um, but obviously, we needed a steady, reliable, long-term dose of this stuff. And um, I eventually was able to locate a country that manufactured this drug for completely different diseases. And they were selling it for about $1,200 a year, which obviously started to sound really cheap. As compared with 47000 per year. Exactly. So you go, you fly to some foreign country, you get some doctor there, I guess, to prescribe the drug? Right, which and is not difficult to do in other countries. It's pretty much not difficult to do in any country if you're a traveler. Did you have to actually claim that you that you had a disease, or did you just tell the doctor, "Here's my situation"? I told him the truth, right, regarding my father, and he was more than willing. He, I think, he felt good being able to help me. And at this point, you're not exactly sure if it's legal, right, to bring these back. That's right. So, so what do you do? Well, I thought I had thought about it in advance, and you know, because I travel in my adult life, and I, I've spent a lot of time in third world countries and stuff. And I usually travel with a pretty hefty medical arsenal. You know, I put multiple pills in one bottle. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go there. However they come, I'm going to take them out of that packaging and put them in empty prescription bottles that I have with other prescription names on them. And I've never, in all my years of traveling, I've never come back into the U.S. and had anybody open my bottles, you know. So I really didn't think I was going to have trouble with this. And so this is like dozens of pills or hundreds of pills? It was somewhere between two, three, or four-month supply, enough to sort of start my father on it, do a set of scans, and see whether or not it was working. So you have hundreds of pills. What, what was the moment like when you finally uh, were coming back into the country? Well, you definitely get that sweaty palms thing going, you know. Um, you wonder, you know, what are they looking for? Right. <laughs> you know, are they what what expression on your face? Uh, you know, you're doing something that could be wrong. And what do we know about how many people are actually going overseas and bringing back drugs? I know that 
their estimates right now are that between one and two million Americans are getting drugs one way or another from Canada alone. And and is that illegal or is that illegal? In my personal experience, it was probably always illegal, and but it wasn't enforced. Um, it it for whatever reason it began to be enforced around December of two thousand and two, and I was told by the FDA that they were cracking down at that point. Do you know what the penalty would have been if you'd been caught? I don't know, but I was. I remember being so angry at the time that I was perfectly prepared to go to jail. You know, not that I want to go to jail, but I was just feeling. This was an absurd way to have to live, and it it was ridiculous in light of the fact that this drug could be had more inexpensively and why my father couldn't have access to it. I considered it immoral. Now, at some point you learned that that you might be able to simply order the drug from – what was it, an online manufacturer, like an online pharmacy – not an online pharmacy. That would have been easy. It was the actual manufacturer in this in this country overseas. And they claimed they were already doing it for other patients in the United States. And they told me it would get right, it would just sail through U.S. customs. And that did not turn out to be the case. It gets held up in um, U.S. customs in Cincinnati. And um, I begin a long series of conversations with FDA officials, uh, sort of case officers, and they tell me, it's illegal. You can't bring this in. And, and the um, reason for that law is because they can't vouch for the, for the quality of the drugs, like they haven't tested those drugs. So Exactly right. They haven't tested those drugs. That's what they say. We haven't tested those drugs. We don't know if they'll be good for you or not. Well, in a way, that's a legitimate thing. Like In a way, you'd want the government to actually do that, to say, we have no idea if this manufacturer is reputable and the drug's okay. Well, I would argue that um, I have the right to take that chance myself. Uh, We're just simply not allowed to do this. Now, we can bring in foreign-made food and foreign-made clothes and everything else, but we're not allowed to bring in foreign-made drugs because they are untested, supposedly. There's a passage in your article where you say, um, I can go to Europe and buy their wine for less, go to Asia and buy their clothes for less. American companies can buy their raw materials for less overseas, or they can move their operations abroad in order to hire cheaper labor or management. But in a mind-boggling reversal of the American principle of supply and demand, I cannot purchase cheaper drugs and bring them home. That's right. And that's the part that to this day infuriates me, particularly about the new Medicare drug bill, which has expressly now completely clearly forbidden Americans to go overseas and bring back drugs for any reason whatsoever. And so and so the FDA holds this stuff up. H- how long do they hold it? They held it uh, for a couple of weeks. The, and for the first time, we'd cut his dose in half to try to eke it out as the package wasn't delivered. Then we mm-hmm. cut his dose in half again. Eventually, it became clear to me that they were not going to give it to us for any reason whatsoever. In fact, they were going to destroy it. And that's when I I turned to uh, my elected officials. I thought, well, maybe they can help me on this. And uh, one Senator Barbara Boxer was phenomenally helpful. Her office went to work on it. They just dug their teeth in, and they had that package sprung in about 24 hours. And, and did you end up having to get the senator's office to intervene for you again? Yes, I did. I Like every time it would come to the border, the same place, same people? Uh, yeah. No. Eventually, I figured out a method with the FDA guy that, that they were willing to accept. We had to provide these very elaborate excuses of why my father was using the 
foreign version versus the American version of this drug. We had to sort of basically manufacture excuses. Oh, I see. You had to say the the American version didn't work. Didn't didn't work as well for my father for the following reasons, which we pretty much made up. It was pretty bogus, but they went for it. And they did that a few times. That system worked. And then it stopped working. Why? What happened? Um, at the end of 2002, we were bringing in another shipment and uh, playing the game the way we'd learned to play it. And this time, just couldn't get it sprung. And that was when I heard that the law, not that the law had changed, but that enforcement of the law had changed. And they were beginning to really crack down now on letting these drugs in. Um, the FDA case officer suggested that I go to the U.S. company that manufactured the drug and apply for patient financial assistance. No, that's a special program which lets you say, we don't have the money to pay the $47,000, so give us a break, basically, on humanitarian grounds. That's right. And uh, apparently a lot of the pharmaceutical companies have these things, whether people know it or not. Um, for the for their more expensive drugs, and uh, we had actually applied for this at the very beginning when my father was first prescribed this drug, and um, he didn't pass. He he wasn't poor enough. They thought so. I decided, you know, we just lie, and I called the uh, patient financial assistance line. They had an eight hundred number, and I was trying to sort of suss them out on. Like, how poor did you really have to be before they would accept you? Mm-hmm. And um, she said, well, I can't tell you that, you know. But she did, it, I think, inadvertently admit the only thing I really needed to know, which was that um, they don't actually check anything you say on the application. Oh, she said that to you straight out. She told me straight out. I felt like it was something she went, oh, God, I shouldn't have said that. And my in my brain, a little bell just went off and I went, yes. Now, a few months after your dad died, and we should say that he didn't die of the cancer. He ended up dying of heart failure. Um, mm-hmm. Congress passed the, the Medicare drug bill, which was designed to address exactly this problem. Um, if your dad had survived, um, what would this bill have done for him, which is supposed to basically take these expensive drugs and put them within financial reach of people? Well, I ran the numbers on it, and I found that um – he would have still had to pay over $6,000 a year. And um, obviously that's a lot cheaper. It's still not as cheap as the $1,200 a year version you could get overseas. So is that good or bad as far as you're concerned, getting it down to 6000 does? It's not good enough. It's not good enough in my opinion. Not if the drug companies are going to be able to ask $47,000, in this case, in my father's case, for a drug that all the research and development was done more than 40 years ago. If they have the right to do that, then I think we need to have something. If the government's going to become the biggest drug buyer on the planet, then they need to do something about enacting price controls or setting standards that they're willing to pay. This, the thing you're talking about is actually that that under the, the bill – um, the United States government would not be able to negotiate for lower prices. They wouldn't be able to say, we're buying a huge quantity, so give us a price break. Right. Congress expressly forbade that in the Medicare drug bill. Right. And as you note in your article, when the government buys anything in quantity, they negotiate the price down. That's right. That's another case, I think, where the pharmaceutical industry wrote the law. And do you blame the drug companies for that? I blame the drug companies at getting through to 
you know, our elected officials, yes. They're obviously phenomenally powerful, as we can see by the number of lobbyists that they employ, 600, more than one for every member of Congress. Uh, there's a personal lobbyist, in effect, for every member of Congress. Julia Whitty's story about getting her dad's $47,000 prescription filled is in the issue of Mother Jones that is on newsstands now, and it's at motherjones.com. The program was produced today by Alex Bloomberg and myself with Wendy Doerr, Diane Cook, Sarah Koenig, and Jane Golombiski, who is getting married today. Yes, today. We're going to have to call her Jane Feltus from now on. Our warmest wishes to her and to Rick. Our senior producer is Julie Snyder. Elizabeth Meister runs our website. Production help from Todd Bachman and Kelsey Diltz. Special thanks today to Lisa Sanders, to oncologist Frank Alfano, to Clara Jeffrey and Mother Jones, Amy O'Leary, Genevieve Beliveau, Katie Gallegos, Kate Lashak, and Mac Brzezinski. Our website, www.thisamericanlife.org, where you can listen to our programs for free, or if you care, you can buy CDs of them now. Or you know you can download audio of our show at audible.com slash thisamericanlife, where they have public radio programs, best-selling books, even the New York Times, all at audible.com. This American Life is distributed by Public Radio International. And This American Life is proudly sponsored by Volkswagen of America, who are so committed to delivering a quality driving experience that they've now gone all the way down to funding what comes out of your car radio, namely our show. More information on their four-wheeled, German-engineered radio listening rooms at VW.com. And funding comes from the Kauffman Foundation of Kansas City, accelerating entrepreneurship across America on the web at KAUFFMAN.org. WBEZ Management Oversight by Tori Malatia, who, you know, he came into the studio this week to watch us do the radio show. His review? It was horrifying. It was the most, it was, it was the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. I'm Ira Glass, back next week with more stories of this American life. The room kind of started <laughs> swirling around me, and everything got really silent. You know, there's sort of like a, a roar fills your ears. R.I. Public Radio International.